Today on Ag News Daily. Targeted to producers, but also has some technical talks. So it has the capability of having an audience from producers to allied industry, academia, veterinarians. Happy Friday, everybody. June 2nd, 2023. Going to hang out with Delaney and I this morning while we view some of the latest headlines related to agriculture. Ready to roll, Delaney? I certainly am, Tanner. It's a beautiful day here in central Iowa. Yeah, I was going to play golf league yesterday afternoon and uh, made it through seven holes before we got rained out, but the rain was definitely welcomed here. Did you get quite a bit or did it skate by you? You know what? I was in Des Moines yesterday when it started flooding, so I don't even know if we got any rain here at the home front. (laughs) Yeah, it uh, seems to be spotty. As it came across the state, it developed a little bit over central Iowa, uh, but there are areas that did not get rain. We still have our flood warnings in effect for Oklahoma and Texas. The Canadian River at Amarillo was 8.1 feet, reaching 10 and a half feet or 10 and a half feet at times. This is well above the flood stage of seven feet. There's potential for multiple rounds of moderate to heavy rain going through today into tomorrow. We're going to continue to put a lot of pressure on creeks or cricks, depending upon where you're at, as well as rivers. We also look up into western Nebraska and eastern Wyoming. Flood watches remain in effect late through Saturday night there. Runoff from recent rains may cause rivers, creeks, and other waterways to go over their banks. Heavy rainfall from slow-moving thunderstorms. That's kind of been the theme over the rain the last couple of days is that the thunderstorms are not moving very quickly. So we'll continue to keep an eye on those flood levels, Delaney, but Certainly much needed rain in some areas, but uh, I think they're ready to turn the spigot off for some. Yeah, I think you're right. And we'll hopefully be talking to some farmers that are ready to turn things off in their neck of the woods. Tanner, this was sent to us by a listener and it completely missed my radar. So I appreciate Gary Rasmussen for sending this to me. But up in South Dakota, there has been an interesting court case going on related to the carbon pipeline. Allegedly, a farmer by the name of Jared Bosley was was held in contempt by the court, or was, that was his challenge, was being in contempt of the court for allegedly threatening to shoot land surveyors who wanted to come onto his property to survey land for their carbon pipeline project. Judge Richard Somers, or Somers presided over the hearing on Wednesday at the Brown County Courthouse and declined to hold the farmer in contempt, but did order lawyers for both sides to determine an acceptable time for surveyors to do this work. Now, the question in here, specifically, Tanner, was whether or not Jared had the right to refuse surveyors coming onto his land. And according to state law, this allows pipeline companies to issue a 30-day notice to the appropriate landowners, but then after that, they do have the right to survey private land. This decision was um, upheld recently in local courts, but is currently being appealed to the state Supreme Court. Meanwhile, Bosley was asked to be held in contempt by the pipeline company, but 
the judge did not even take the chance to hear about that side of the argument and simply told him, hey, you have to allow these land surveyors to come onto your land. There were, however, about 50 opponents of the pipeline project that attended the hearing in support of Bosley, and quite a few were were upset that he did not get to clear his name, saying it was ridiculous that Bosley was accused of threatening these surveyors at gunpoint, and now his reputation has been tarnished by this whole debacle, Tanner. But I didn't realize that in the state of South Dakota, you could enter private land regardless as long as you issued a 30-day notice to landowners. So it appears that they will be continuing to survey Bosley's land here and things will be moving forward. Yeah, that is interesting because there's more discussions happening in Iowa. Roughly 60,000 miles of carbon pipeline must be installed in the United States to help them work towards eliminating greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Federal engineer was in the state of Iowa yesterday, along with representatives from the three companies, Summit Carbon Solutions, Navigator CO2 Ventures, and Wolf Carbon Solutions. In the state of Iowa, they're looking to span nearly 3,000 miles in the Midwestern states. They're relying on federal tax credits and reward emitters for the carbon dioxide that they will prevent from going into the atmosphere. Kevin Dooley was the carbon transport engineer and representative from the U.S. Department of Energy that was speaking in Iowa yesterday, stated they're just building out initial sequestration wells at the moment, trying to build those original capabilities to carry us forward through the next 30 years. Dooley's comments were made as part of a pipeline safety meeting hosted in Des Moines by the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration which is considering revisions to its rules for pipelines. The two-day meeting was focused on 5,000 miles of carbon dioxide pipeline that is already in the ground in the United States and looking to continue to provide support to the Biden administration who wants to eliminate carbon emissions from uh, the nation's production by 2035, trying to reach net zero by 2050. A lot of opposition was heard during this two-day meeting. Carolyn the executive director of Science and Environmental Health Network stated that the CO2 pipelines pose a unique hazard, a unique risk that we don't know how lethal it is. It could be harmful to plants, animals, and humans. Uh, continued to ask for a moratorium on the construction of new carbon dioxide pipelines until we officially know what those risks can be. Also had uh, presenters stating that their local ag and rural communities did not have fire department or EMS services that are equipped with products and training to take care of a pipeline rupture if that were to happen. Uh, ultimately, uh, there was additional concern about freeze and thaw cycle, as a lot of the pipeline will be here in the northern Midwest section. But it sounds like According to the federal government, they will continue to back this project as part of their initiative to be carbon neutral by 2050. Well, Tanner, this year we could see farm profitability related to exports shrink by 8%, according to the latest quarterly forecast by the USDA. Their latest forecast here is suggesting a 15 $0.4 billion decline in sales that would be most pronounced for corn, cotton, beef, and soybeans as their ag exports for fiscal year 2023 are now suggested to come in at $181 billion, 
which is down sharply from the highest ever export year we saw last year at $196.4 billion. We are expected to be at a trade deficit this year with imports forecasted at $198 billion, giving ag a $17 billion trade deficit. And that certainly could impact farm the farm economy and farm profitability as demand is one of the biggest drivers that we see for our commodity markets. But there's USDA cited inflation as a continuing trend, slowing, yet that is the biggest challenge for getting exports out the door. And another challenge of this recent forecast, Tanner, could be the monstrous Brazilian soybean crop that we've seen coming out of their country. It is official that Brazilian soybean harvest is pretty much complete now. And so according to StoneX's monthly customer survey of farmers down in Brazil, they estimated no changes in production estimates, leaving the Brazilian soybean crop at 157.68 million metric tons. I think it is the largest crop so far on record for Brazil. However, they're suggesting that early corn harvest results have been extremely good in Mato Grosso and that are resulting in higher yields. So we're suggesting here to see the Safrina corn crop, which is their main crop they export tanner, could come in higher than analysts were expecting. Stonex has already bumped their production estimate now to 102.9 million metric tons. And as a result, total Brazilian corn production for this year could be projected to be around 133 million metric tons, which certainly could eat up some market share here that the U.S. otherwise would have access to. So something to keep an eye on there, Tanner. But all in all, maybe not a pretty outlook this year for agriculture. Still seeing good exports, but an 8% decline is a big jump from year to year. That's correct. Got a couple of percentages here in my combined headlines. Going to hit ethanol production again, as we do every week, just delayed this week due to the holiday on Monday. Output rose for the seven days that ended May 26, breaking the million barrel average per day production for the first time in five weeks. 1.004 million barrels per day on average. That's up from 983,000. The previous week, this did boost inventories for the first time in over a month and a half. Inventories come in at 22.332 million barrels. That's up from 22.041 as of the week before. And that is the first time we've seen inventories increase since April 14th. The USDA is also looking at projecting the largest wheat abandonment that we've ever had in history. Based on preliminary statistics, the USDA says winter wheat abandonment for 2023 is pegged at 32.6%. If realized, this would be the highest winter wheat abandonment since 1917. The only other times that wheat abandonment has been more than a quarter of the crop was in 1951 at 28.6, 2002 at 28.8, and 2022 at 29.5. So we could be looking at back-to-back years with a quarter of that wheat crop being abandoned. Large acreage abandonment has been discussed, obviously, for months as traders consider where the market is going to head. About one out of every three acres of wheat, winter wheat seeded, 
will be abandoned. And that is likely due to the lack of rain, even though the rains we just discussed earlier in this episode have come a little bit too late. Winter wheat abandonment in Texas is estimated at 70%. Oklahoma, 53%. Kansas May production suggests about 20%, but we could see numbers slide higher in that state based upon the wheat tour that we had. So getting an idea of where things look like, this is potentially going to be a common theme unless we see a change in our weather patterns. So we'll continue to watch. Obviously, we know the wheat tour yield average hit 30 bushels per acre, which is not significant, but we'll just have to see how this plays out. You know, I'm excited for my final two headlines, both related to the meat industry. The first one here is about a Dutch startup company called Meatable that has been invested in the cultivated meat market. They recently announced that they have slashed their production time for cultivated pork is what they're calling it from three weeks to eight days. And they're still producing this at a really small scale, but they said that they think they have the technology to scale this really well. So I think that'll be an interesting story to keep an eye on just as we're starting to see a lot of other cell-based and plant-based meat companies or cultured meat companies following suit, claiming now that they are close to being able to really mass scale their cultivated meat products. But my final story here is probably my favorite one. And that is related, Tanner, to a new type of way to get your beef. There's a company called Greengrass Cattle Company based in Weston, Missouri, right outside of Kansas City. And apparently after hearing about a vending machine in Germany that served bratwursts, the owners of the cattle farm decided to launch their own version of this in the Midwest. Now in the middle of Kansas City's Front Range Coffee House, you can purchase Tanner a steak or ground beef directly from a vending machine. How cool is that? That's pretty cool. I think uh, that's a great idea. Well, hopefully we're going to be able to get them onto the podcast and get an interview with them to learn more about that vending machine that you can buy meat from. But I'm all for it. As long as it's cool and refrigerated, I'm all for it. Yeah, it's uh, probably something pork producers need to look into as well as we now see the latest Prop 12 ruling potentially adding another drag to pork prices. We know that cattle prices are at the highest levels that they have seen. But the first problem is looking at demand on the pork side. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. But I've just got some headlines from Russia. Before we jump into markets today, Ukraine military's air defenses claim that they shot down 36 drones and missiles overnight. The air raid sirens were sounded all over Ukraine. Two people were injured by falling debris. Meanwhile, the number of Russian officials reporting attacks over the regions Friday stated that the war is now spilling over into Russian territory. Governors of the Kursk and Smolensk regions reported attacks by Ukrainian drones, while officials in uh, Byronesk and Belogord said their two regions experienced shelling as well. Ukraine has not commented or taken claims on those as well. Ukraine's military claims more than 200,000 Russian soldiers have been killed in the war, more troops than estimated that have taken over in the initial invasion. There's no independent confirmation or verification of those figures at this point. 
But China's continuing to try and play peacemaker. Their special representative of Eurasian Affairs said Friday that neither Russia nor Ukraine has shut the door on peace talks, claiming the parties are not completely without consensus. However, Ukraine has repeatedly stated it would not involve a settlement that would include the loss of any territories and conditions that Russia has shown. There's no sign of consenting to that item. So we'll continue to keep an eye as things progress on that front. But that's what I've got for today. How do markets start off the last day of the trading week? Well, Tanner, things are a little mixed as we head into Friday's final trading session. July corn down seven and a half cents in the overnight to open at eight. Oh, excuse me, five eighty-five. Dece new crop corn down three pennies. Will ring in here at five twenty-seven. Soybeans actually pushing a little higher. In all contracts, July up a quarter of a cent at 13.29 and three quarters. Nove new crop beans up two and a half cents at 11.71 and a half. Hard red July winter wheat down three and three quarters cents today to open at 7.98 and three quarters. And as we take a look at the livestock markets here to wrap up our final trading session, August live cattle up, limit up in the overnights at a buck 72, 37 and a half. August feeder cattle added 247 yesterday to open this morning at 241.65. And July lean hogs down $1.27 and a half, ringing in at 82.05 and a half. Tanner, for today's conversation, we are chatting with Stacey Matchin about an upcoming event for Iowa folks involved in the swine industry. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Well, for those of our listeners involved in the swine system or swine production system, we've got a great conference coming up here at the end of the month in Ames, Iowa, the 12th annual Iowa Swine Day. Chatting today with Stacy Matchin, the program specialist for the Iowa Pork Industry Center, also located in Ames. Stacy, super excited to talk more about the conference. And I did not realize until we were chatting here just before recording that this was the 12th year of the Iowa Swine Day. Yeah, thank you for having me. It started in 2012 by Dr. John Patience. And yeah, we're excited to host everybody here at the Sheeman Building for the 12th year in a row. So Stacy, for those of our listeners who have never attended Iowa Swine Day, why was it started and what can folks expect if they're wanting to attend? So it originally started with John Patient, who had a producer come to him and ask him why they had to go to Kansas State to get information about the swine industry for their, their annual swine day. So we started one here um, with John Patient, and it is formatted in a way targeted to producers, but also has some technical talks. So it has the capability of having an audience from producers to allied industry, academia, veterinarians. Um, In the morning, we do a plenary session. So we have four generally more big picture talks before lunch. And then in the afternoon, we break out into four concurrent sessions. So those are all topical. This year, we will focus on sustainable pork production in one, uh, strategies for foreign animal disease and health, future of pig farming, and then an Iowa State University research update session. 
So within each of those, we'll have four different talks all uh, at the same time. So attendees are welcome to float between the different concurrent sessions and listen to any talks that they want. And if there are more than one that they want to attend at the same time, we do record uh, everyone that the, uh, the speaker gives permission to record and post. So those will be available probably about a month after, after the event wraps up. And Stacey, I've attended this event before, and it's a really fun event just to hear all of the people that are talking about the swine industry. Everybody in the room is really passionate about the industry, and I think that's really apparent just sitting in the room with folks in the swine industry, working in various parts of the production system. So the networking side of it really is a great draw for folks as well, just to see people they haven't seen maybe in a year since the last swine conference. Yeah, we try to prioritize networking. Uh, we have breaks throughout the day, and we try to make them a little longer, not only to get us you know, caught up on schedule if somebody runs over, but also to really focus on that networking. Uh, we have sponsors for Swine Day that have our gold and platinum sponsors all get tech tables, so we put those around our lobby area, which also encourages some networking and seeing what's new. Um, in the allied industry. Um, but yeah, we, we try to encourage that and we do a social this year, we're moving the social to the evening before, um, but we'll have barbecue and beer for everybody. So yeah, we also, um, we hear good things about the networking and sometimes it's hard to get people back into the rooms because they are catching up with so many different people that they, yet, like you said, probably haven't seen in a year. And Stacey, like you mentioned, a lot of the topics that you're selecting for speakers are very timely related to current events and whatnot that's going on in the swine industry. How did you pick this year's topics and give us a little bit more of a preview as to what some of those speakers will be sharing about during the upcoming Iowa Swine Day? Sure. So Swine Day is coordinated based on two different committees. So we have a program committee and then a planning committee. Our program committee meets just a couple months after the event wraps up. So we usually meet in October, October, November, and that committee is largely made up of producers. So we have producers come, we sit in a room and we literally just throw topics that they wanna hear onto a whiteboard then we fill the whiteboard. It's usually, you know, we have 50 different things that we want to touch base on. And then we kind of prioritize and try to formulate a, a, a draft program, you know, putting things into buckets that work well as a concurrent session. And then we try to identify speakers there in the room. So it's quite a process. We spend about five, six hours together, just brainstorming ideas, um, we have producers of all sizes, so, you know, we make sure that, you know, the smaller producer isn't left out and everything's not targeted towards integrated producers. So, yeah, we meet and we just kind of prioritize what they think is going to be a hot topic the following June. So we try not to do things that, you know, people are really interested in in October knowing that this is not going to be until June. So usually we have um, a foreign animal disease health se section. 
uh, an Iowa State research section. That was something that John patients when he first put this together thought was important to um, try and limit the amount of Iowa, or Iowa State University speakers in the overall program and highlight their research in, in a concurrent session in the afternoon, which I think truthfully has worked out well um, because that keeps you know the the research um, kind of limited, but also you know very current. And then you know it kind of just depends for the other ones, the other two breakouts um, of what you know is going on in the world. So technology is becoming more and more um, you know prudent in farms, and you know labor is an issue. So last year, I think we had a whole labor section, um, but this year we're kind of combining labor and technology because they ultimately are going to kind of go together, you know, technology helping, you know, the labor force. So it really just depends what, what is going on in the industry and what the producers on our committee think, you know, would be of most interest to get out the following year, you know, 10 months before. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of thought and work that goes into planning this conference and you do a lot of the work. So I think it's a, you do such a great job with it. So excited to be at this year's event once again. But Stacy, if any of our listeners would like to attend the event, give us a few more details on when it is, where it is and how they can register. Yeah, so it's at the Shaman building here in Ames. It's a building that's you know, Iowa State owned, it's just across from main campus. It costs $65 per person. And that registration is open theoretically until two days before. But if you don't get registered in time, we will not turn you away. Please do still come. Um, but we, I do want to mention that our registration is so low and has never increased. There's always been $65 since the very first wine day. That is because of the tremendous support that we get from sponsors in the industry. I think right now I have 56 sponsors for this year's event, which is about what we had last year, but um, you know, it may not be increasing, but it has a little bit. But the fact that they still prioritize this conference amongst other things in their budget really says something. So I just want to thank all of our sponsors for letting us keep that $65 um, registration fee for our producers to get there. And they can register. We have a couple different ways to get to the Iowa Swine Day website. You can find it through ipic.iastate.edu. And then we have a Swine Day tab, and that takes you to the page. Or you can just find it at AEP Iowa State Iowa Swine Day. But we can put that that registration link um, in the show notes for you guys. Absolutely. Listeners, we will share that registration link. So any of you listening, interested in attending can register there as well. Stacy, thank you so much for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your time and looking forward to another Iowa Swine Day conference. Thanks, Delaney. There you go. Fun way to wrap up the week. Listeners, don't go far. We'll be back again on Monday been a little while since we've had a Market Monday conversation, so you won't want to miss that. Delaney, I hope you have a great weekend. Listeners, you too. But for today, what do you say? Should we let them go? Let's let them go. 